everyone. Melissa Murphy with the fund here. Welcome to our very first Title Now pop-up webinar. This is the first in a series of webinars that we want to do uh, every Thursday at noon. And we want to highlight issues of uh, concern to the real estate industry, sort of timely issues uh, that come up that uh, people in the real estate transactional industry, but also the settlement services industry would be interested in. And we also are going to focus on some issues that are of particular interest to fund members, those real estate attorneys with real estate related practices. This content is also going to be pushed out on our podcast, which of course is called Title Now. So if you ever miss one of the live webinars, you ought to be able to catch the information. Uh, on the podcast. So be sure that you uh, subscribe to that podcast and you can get that um, on your iPhone or, or an Android phone. It's hard to say that. So this week, um, the pandemic has certainly created some significant changes for title agents, dealing with stay at home orders, moving yourselves and your staff to working from home, working within the guidelines for businesses that are considered essential services, and then figuring out how to get documents signed uh, in an environment where people don't really want to meet face-to-face -face or they can't meet face-to-face. -face. Ron has not turned out to be the solution that we thought it would be. There are some limitations to Ron. And this is particularly true when it comes to loan closing documents. Why is this? Well, there are an awful lot of lenders that will not accept e-signed notes. And that kind of bleeds over into a reluctance or refusal to accept e-signed mortgages, which then bleeds over into not accepting any e-signed loan documents. So you've got this situation where the lenders won't um, allow you to e-sign documents. And then a couple of weeks ago, you started hearing about and reading about Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac coming out with new guidelines that say e-signed mortgages are fine, but you have to be an approved e-note lender. So how do we reconcile uh, what's going on out in the field with what these Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac guidelines say. What can Fannie Mae and Freddie do to help the title industry, to help consumers close safely on their deals? And is there any relief in sight? So I often, in situations like this, turn to the American Land Title Association because they are a great resource for issues like that. And I have as my guest today, Steve Gottheim, who is the senior counsel at ALTA. And while Steve has many, many duties at ALTA, one of his areas of responsibility is to keep up with what the GSCs are doing. And that certainly includes Fannie and Freddie Mac. So Steve, welcome to Title Now pop-up webinar. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Melissa. And thank you uh, to all of the uh, fund members who uh, joined us today. 
Sure. So how are things in our nation's capital? I'll give you just a minute to <laughs> try to summarize what's going on up there. Is it? You know, let's, uh, <laughs> we'll go with crazy as always, but, um, you know, it's certainly uh, been an interesting time here in D.C., as I know it is out at, at you know, where all of you are located uh, to see, you know, everybody working from home, including Congress now. And so, you know, we, we, we keep hearing that there's more work to be done in D.C. for, for relief for COVID, but none of it's really going to happen until Congress comes back in town, and that's an uh, open question right now. It is. Well, we appreciate your holding down the fort for the title insurance industry up there in D.C. So, Steve, let's start off uh, with explaining to our participants how e-notes work in the world of the secondary market. Uh, kind of take us through how we got to where we are today before the recent guidelines came out. Yeah, I mean, so the, the world of going E, you know, has, has, has kind of had its uh, making starting really in the, in, in the late 90s, early 2000s, when, when, uh, the, when a number of states passed the uh, Uniform Electronic Transactions Act, I think every state, but uh, now I want to say New York maybe hasn't hasn't passed UEDA, uh, and and then it's it's federal uh, counterpoint the eSign Act, which said you know if if a if a law requires a a contract or other document to be in in physical writing, an electronic version of that same document with an electronic signature is, is equally as valid under the law. You know, and, and since then we've had you know a host of other laws that have had to come into play as we've made this kind of slow and slower. Uh, turn to go from a paper-based, a completely paper-based world to at least the burgeoning amount of, of, of electronic transactions in the real estate space. You know, I, I think that the big question for a lot of folks is, you know, when would the industry go digital, completely digital for closings and for mortgages? And I, I don't think anybody expected the reason, uh, the, 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 the flipping point for that being a pandemic and a, 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 a natural catastrophe of this type of nature, but it seems to be where, uh, where we're going. Um, you know, the, 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 the important things to, to think about is, you know, over those last 20 years, there's been a lot of technology put in place on how to do uh, a e-note and an e-mortgage in a, in a safe and secure manner. And so, you know, as you look into those options as you're going down this path, um, you know, the, the, the challenge is it's not as easy as just making the decision of I want to go e to get ready to do either of those from a lending institution side or from a title side. You know, you, you need to think about the, the the investment in technology to get there, and that's really going to be the big question for 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 people in this time is, you know, what do we what can we do to bridge between, you know, a fully paper in person uh, transaction to eventually get to that e transaction, knowing that there is a lead up time to get fully e, and what are some of those bridge options? So we we kept reading in the guidelines that a lender has to be approved before they can accept an e-note. So what is that all about? And what just basically, are there lenders out there that have been approved? Is it a big list? Is it a small list? Where are they doing business? What is that all about? Yeah, so for, for folks that are, are, are kind of familiar with the uh, note requirement, with, with the law of promissory notes under the UCC, you know, there's kind of this, you know, the basic rule of thumb for notes is sometimes possession of that note actually gives you authority to act under it as a holder of that note. And so 
when we go E, it's about how do you how do you create that same rule of law component to it on an electronic document where you can make multiple copies of it and you no one knows which one is the true original version of it because it's it's an electronic document. Um, to do that, you know, a, a robust set of systems and technology are put in place to create controllable records that um, have level of tamper evidence and tamper proofing and, and have um, some, some, some registration of those notes. Um, so, you know, the first two things that, that you need to do if, you, if you're a lender trying to go and, and start to do e-notes is one, you need to get the technology to do e-notes. Um, and, and there's a host of technology providers out there that do this, um, but it's more than just scanning a, a what otherwise would have been paper note um, with a wet ink signature, scanning that in and turning it into a PDF. Um, the second thing is when an e-note is created properly under those systems, it has to be registered with a custodian um, almost immediately that's going to then track through metadata any changes in control or possession of that note. The, the largest custodian in the country right now is uh, is MERS. The, you know, we all know MERS because of how they track kind of assignments of, of, of records for mortgages. This is a secondary business of theirs to serve as the e-note registry um, for the United States, and, and and they do have the majority of the e-notes, if not almost all of them. You know, if you if you go onto their uh, into their registry today, you know their their data shows that as of the end of March, only 543,000 e-note unique e-notes have been created in all of time. You know, when you think of it as there were six million or so mortgages issued last year, a little bit more than that. You know. 500,000 over the course of a number of years is a paltry amount. And part of that's because there's just not an, a lot of lenders that have, that had fully jumped into that ship. Uh, but, you know, so there's only really know, 50 to 100 lenders that are, that are offering e-notes um, as, as part of their solution. I know more are trying to get on board every day, but um, you know, it, it had been a slow start to get that process going. So you've got this set of lenders that have been approved through whatever that complicated process is to accept e-notes. Um, and so we understand that concept, but if you aren't approved to accept an e-note and, and you can get a wet sign note, how does that relate to being willing to accept an e-signed mortgage? How do those two things work together if they do work together? Yeah, so um, it's, a, it's an interesting you know, concept in, in, in what Fannie and Freddie say. So Fannie and Freddie have said you know, that you have to go through these hoops to be able to sign, a, a, to use e-notes. Everybody else then, if you're going to sell a Fannie and Freddie, has to be a wet sign, uh, a wet sign promissory note. Now, in the world of Fannie and Freddie, if you are going to do an e-note, you also have to do an e-mortgage. Um, so, you know, the, the expectation is if you do an e-note, the rest of your process has to be a has to be digitally done. But the same is, is not true on the other side, right? If you do a paper mortgage or, or a paper note, um, you still have the ability as a lender to accept either paper wet signed uh, mortgages or uh, or digitally created electronic mortgages using a, either uh, an electronic notarization uh, or a remote notarization. And and so, you know, the, the there's a, there's a dichotomy in, in that space, which is, you know, if, if you're one of those lenders that isn't going E, you still have the ability to go and do a digital mortgage if you want. Um, and, and we know that there are obviously a lot of lenders that are looking at doing that process and, and you know, talking to their title agents about finding ways to, uh, to 
get everything as possible executed digitally and then just have the paper note be the one wet sign document um, to reduce contact a, a, as part of social distancing. But um, you know, th there, there are a lot of different options there for lenders to, 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 to utilize um, when it comes to uh, the degree of digital uh, that they want to add in if they're still using paper notes. All right, so we have this system where uh, lenders were approved to accept e-notes and then they wanted everything signed electronically. Uh, you have the ability to uh, get a web sign note and the lender had the option to accept e-sign mortgages, et cetera. So, so the reluctance or refusal that we're hearing about in the market or that I'm hearing about from my fund members that lenders won't accept anything e-sign. Is that just a reluctance to do that because they aren't quite sure that they're going to be able to sell the loan? Does it matter who they're going to sell the loan to? I mean, this yeah. is all, yeah. It's kind of a it's a kind of a a two a, a two pronged answer, right? So one prong of it is, um, you know, occasionally there's going to be a reluctance from lenders, especially if they have a larger footprint. Um, and, and they're multi-state or national in, in scope, that if they can't build a single process for all their loans and for their entire loan production channel, um, then they, then, you know, they're not going to bifurcate it. So, you know, if you happen to be a lender and you're doing business in Florida, but you're also doing business in uh, a, a state that doesn't have RON, North Dakota or South Dakota, what, you know, one of the states that didn't have RON yet, um, then, you know, maybe you didn't want to, uh, Go into e go into do a digital uh, a digital mortgage because you couldn't do the same process for everything and you didn't want to have to do two different levels of training for your staff. The yeah. other factor that comes into play sometimes is just again who you're going to sell your loan to. And so for a lot of lenders, they uh, they might have two or three different outlets for where they're going to place their loan. Most lenders don't just directly sell a loan to Fannie or Freddie. Um, a lot of them, especially if they're not a bank, if they're a non-bank mortgage lender. Um, they tend to also sell their loans uh, through a warehouse line of credit. So their 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 funding comes from a larger bank who provides them credit, and that and that collateral for that credit for that warehouse line is loans that they make um, using that funding. And so, depending on what warehouse lines you have, uh, some of them may or may not be ready to take a digital mortgage, or may or may not be comfortable with it. And so, um, you know, oftentimes what you see is a lender who's not sure exactly how they're going to where they're going to sell that mortgage will take the easiest path and just say, get it all paper signed. Cause that's, I know I can sell paper signed. I don't know if I have a digital that I can sell it to all my channels. Got it. That makes sense. All right. So what's new, what has changed? Um, what are the, um, what are these guidelines doing that are new and different for the industry? Yeah, so there's two new guides that came out of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. You know, as soon as this kind of COVID crisis really became, began to ramp up and we started to see cities and states uh, begin to shut down with, uh, with, with, with a large number of cases and then these stay-at-home orders, you know, and also we really focused on, on three things um, to help the industry. One, we knew that there was going to be more demand for digital closings given the social distancing, and so we've pushed a piece of federal legislation, the Secure Notarization Act, um, to give uh, the other, you know, before this, only 24 states had passed RON legislation. Even half of those states hadn't had their regulations go into effect. And so we knew that something needed to be done to kind of give people some temporary cover to do RONs if their state hadn't acted. 
Uh, you know, second, we heard a lot about counties that had been closing across the country and, and not accepting documents for recording. And so we worked really closely with, uh, with folks in the federal government to get county recorders deemed as essential employees so that you all could get, uh, even if you could get to closing, you also had a place to record your documents and record your loans as well. And then the last thing that we've done is it really worked very closely with Fannie and Freddie about um, just some of the areas where um, shutdowns and other aspects related to COVID are causing issues for title companies and, and for title attorneys out there. Um, in those early conversations with our members across the country, we really heard two things were going to be the most important to get more flexibility or guidance from Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. One was on remote notarization. So as I said, only 24 states before, before this crisis had uh, passed remote notarization laws. Uh, you know, very few uh, loans had been closed using RON to begin with at that point. Um, and so there was a question about, you know, just wanting a little bit more surety and, 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 and guidance about what, uh, what types of RONs were going to be appropriate for um, and, and lead to a, a higher likelihood of a, of, of, of a loan being saleable to Freddie and Fannie. Um, you know, as a lot of these governors put, started to put out uh, ex emergency executive orders, some of them with uh, no standards whatsoever, um, how they conflicted with the, the states like Florida that had passed either their, their own RON laws or, or at least some variant of the model law that we wrote. Um, you know, all of the states out there that had passed laws in the last few years had, had a, a basic set of minimum standards. And so Fannie and Freddie uh, felt that it would make, you know, makes them more comfortable, gives everybody a little bit more guidance if they said, you can use a lot of different authorities to do a RON, but, you know, it's got to at least meet these minimum standards. And then those are the same basic minimum standards that are in all of the state laws like Florida's. So that, that was kind of part one of what Fannie did is they, they put out significantly more guidance than they had in the past about, um, about their willingness to accept loans that had been notarized using RON and what those minimum standards needed to be um, to use a RON. And, and so you know, there's a lot of guidance there. The second thing that they did and based off of our conversations with our members uh, was to expand the use of limited powers of attorney. And so Traditionally, Fannie and Freddie uh, did not allow a loan to be executed, loan docs to be executed under a power of attorney um, if the person serving as an attorney, in fact, had some connection to the transaction, whether they were um, a staff person uh, or, or related to the title company or to the uh, realtor or to the uh, mortgage banker or the lender in, in this instance. But the, what, what we knew is that you know, again, as we as we tried to figure out, you know, we know that there's going to need to be bridges between the world of fully paper in-person closings, and then we can get enough scope uh, and scale to do fully digital closings for um, for folks out there. You know, that, that a power of attorney could be a powerful bridge out there for for companies that are, you know, interested in looking at that. And so, one of the the changes that Fannie and Freddie did is for for loans that have applications before May 17th of this year. Um, those documents, those loan docs, the mortgage can be executed and note can be executed under a power of attorney. And they set out some guidelines for what those powers of attorney need to, to say. Um, they require that you have, and if you execute under a power of attorney, you actually have to get an, a recorded confirmation um, from the borrower before you do it. So you, um, you know, they kind of want you to go onto a platform like this, go to meeting and just have a conversation, record the borrower saying, yes, I agree to let you sign the documents on my behalf. Um, and they they and then they only allow it to to uh, 
the person to serve as an attorney, in fact, if they are an appointed agent of a title insurer and that transaction is going to be covered by a closing protection letter or a similar type of product um, if you're in a state that doesn't do uh, CPLs, which really that just means New York. So let me ask you a couple of questions about these LPOAs, and then I want to go back to some things about the new guidelines on remote online notarization. But first, with the L LPOAs, this is just for a limited amount of time. So this, you said applications submitted uh, before May 17th. Correct. Right. And so, you know, arguably, if a closing that is might get extended, but right now that's where it is. You know, it's it's going to you know. It could be extended, but you know the recognition is it's going to be time limited. And when we're past this crisis, that allowance is going to go away. You know, for uh, for the you know the reasons why uh, it wasn't allowed in the first place, which is the worry about increased risks of fraud. Got it. And so this really would apply to closings that maybe are sixty to seventy-five days out, based on that March seventeenth loan application deadline. Um, and certainly a lot of agents out there, once they saw these guidelines, while they generally understood the concept, there was a reluctance on the part of, or is a reluctance on the part of title agents to act as the attorney in fact. Uh, so it remains to be seen how much we will see this option actually used in the marketplace. Um, yeah, I mean, so, we've we've heard nationally from a lot of agents, and including a, very, a number of large agents, that they're not gonna that you know they're not comfortable putting their employees in that position and using that power. Um, you know, so we we know it's not a it's not a one size fits all for everybody, but it does create an opportunity for companies that this is uh, a way to do as low touch closing as you might be able to do, um, and and gives you that option. And and we've heard from a couple of large agents as well that you know have you know. Uh, large contracts with a with a, a large refinance pipelines with with one or two lenders um, where they've been able to find a way to get comfortable doing this um, because it will allow them to move that pipeline along and save consumers money. And so, you know, it's really going to come down to, you know, your own uh, comfort and appetite to, to do this and serve in that role, knowing that it's not a perfect solution, but it's just an, another option that you have um, if you need to, if you need to, because you have a closing that can't occur in some other way. Got it. So let's go back to these RON guidelines. So the RON guidelines that have been issued are at this point of a permanent nature. There's no uh, drop dead or sunset date in those guidelines. And it seems like uh, the point of those guidelines is for transactions executed under the laws of the states listed in that guideline, the lenders should be comfortable accepting electronically signed loan documents, but for the note. Is that the whole point of these guidelines? Right. So, you know, the, the, the RON guidelines don't touch notes at all. So, you know, right. ignore that part of it. You know, there are 45 states that, that they list in that in this uh, bulletin um, or have or have or at least 42 in the original bulletin. Three more have been added since. Um, but the basic idea is these are states where based either because there was an existing RON law or because of the way uh, the governors have drafted um, emergency orders, 
Fannie and Freddie feel comfortable believing that a court will uphold the validity of a of a uh, mortgage executed using and, and acknowledged using Iran um, if there's a challenge later on in court. Um, and, and so, you know, that, that's where they get that list, even though there are, you know, still only 25 or 26 states that have passed Iran since a couple of just recently passed it in the last few weeks. Um, but, but that's how they get to that larger list than the states that have currently passed Iran. Well, Florida's on the list, so we're in good shape there. We have a Ron law, so there's, um, at least we're on the list. So hopefully that will help us out there in the market dealing with lenders. And we're just hoping that all the lenders that my members deal with, that this information trickles down to them and they are aware of these guidelines and they are comfortable with these guidelines so that we can get these deals closed in the safest possible way for the parties. Yeah, I mean, and, and the things to think about and have that conversation with your lenders as you're using, if you're going to try to use these guidelines is, you know, there's really three parts to it, right? It's the, the set of minimum standards that are in there, um, which are very basic minimum standards, multi-factor authentication, not, uh, uh, record, recordation of the notarial act and tamper evidence uh, sealing. And Florida meets all those, so we're yeah. in good shape. The second big thing is that, that that's out there that may cause some lenders some questions, and so you should have a you should have a conversation about it. Is uh, the lenders required or required to have access to uh, either they're required to save or have access to that recording of the notarial act for the life of the loan? Um, right. That's not necessarily a, a requirement of all the state laws, but it is something Fannie and Freddie felt uh, important to have in there. Um, right. And then the third thing to think about is that. You know, just like in every other, uh, in any other transaction, whether it's a RON or not, um, they want a title policy that's based off of the 06 Alta policy or the, the Florida version of that, um, that does not take exception to the notarization. And so, you know, you know, you need to make sure and talk with your underwriter to, to know, uh, are there going to be any situations where the underwriter is going to make you take exception to that notarization because you need to deal with those issues uh, before you close a loan so that you don't uh, run into that that issue. Perfect. Well, I think this has really helped a lot, Steve. I know that for me personally, I had to read over the guidelines four or five times, and then they put out FAQs. Those were very helpful. You just have to read those over and over again, and finally it will digest and make sense. So Steve, tell us what else is going on at ALTA in our remaining minutes. Yeah, so we, we've got a couple of things going on that I just want to highlight for folks. You know, if you, if you haven't looked at our uh, at our COVID resource page, it's alta.org forward slash coronavirus. We've got a host of tools and, and tips and practices for companies that are trying to do safe closings, including whether you're doing a drive-up closing or a curbside closing, whether you're going to try to do stuff using the LPOAs or things like that. Um, most importantly, it's got our county tracker system up there, which shows which counties have been closed. Um, and are not accepting documents, so you can understand where uh, where you might run into hotspots. You know, the good thing that we've seen uh, is in the last month, you know, a lot of those closures uh, counties have come back online, and so um, you know, there's really not very many counties. Only 24 counties in the in the top 300 um, that have uh, that have been closed uh, throughout this period. The other thing I want to mention is because this is uh, and uh, it seems to be an interesting topic to folks on on all these DSE guidance. Um, we're going to be hosting a webinar uh, on Tuesday of next week. Um, it's uh, it's going to feature uh, some of the attorneys from both Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac talking about uh, talking about these bulletins, talking about their FAQs. Um, you know, I encourage folks to to to, to attend if you, it's free. It's free to everybody. 
Um, I encourage folks to attend, uh, not only because you'll get the chance to ask questions directly to those folks, um, but I also know Fannie and Freddie have, are really interested in hearing the questions that the industry has um, to see if more FAQs are necessary or to learn if there's more things they can do um, to make it easier for people to close loans during this time. So I encourage folks, um, that'll be Tuesday uh, at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Perfect. So if you haven't gotten enough about Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac guidelines in this session, you can register for that webinar next week. Steve, thanks again for your time. Uh, really appreciate uh, your willingness to share your information with fund members um, and say hi to all my friends at Alta, at least virtually for me. So that wraps up our very first webinar. We've got upcoming topics already set. Next week, we're going to have the CEO of Florida Realtors with us to talk about what Florida Realtors as an organization is doing to support their members and what Realtors are doing out in the field to help you uh, market your property or buy a property as safely as possible. We have an economist on board. I want to put together a panel of fund members who have creative ways of dealing with the virus. Uh, we call, uh, I don't like calling them drive-by closings. That sounds a little sketchy, but drive-up closings or driveway closings. Uh, and also share what their experience has been with Ron. And there'll probably be some discussion about lenders too. I would also love to have a session on force majeure clauses and how people are dealing with those. So we will try to set that up. I really hope you've enjoyed it today. Be sure to sign up for the podcast title now so that if you miss one of the weekly sessions, you can always get the information there. And uh, I welcome your feedback. I welcome your feedback on the format, format, on the timing, on the topics. And of course, thank you for your support of the fund.